The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. And I went to them and I remember the agent was like, do you have a resume? And I gave it to them. They go, do you do any voiceover work? And I go... Yeah, of course I didn't. (laughs) And I just went into it. I go, if you like yummy things like peach parfait, come on, live a little. Have a cup of U-Ban for dessert. U-Ban, the gorgeous coffee. U-Ban tastes great. Just think, bacon and eggs for breakfast and dessert. A nice big sandwich for lunch and dessert. Or how about a strawberry parfait and dessert? U-Ban. Hey, I am Michael Rosenbaum. I was Lex Luthor on Smallville, and I have a really fun podcast called Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. So check it out. I'm happy to be here. Hello there, friends, and welcome back to a brand spanking new episode of Off the Beat. As always, I am your host, Brian Baumgartner. Today, well, I'm talking to my new bestie, Michael Rosenbaum, as you just heard. Now, you may know him best as Lex Luthor on Smallville, or maybe from his hit podcast, Inside of You. Uh, as he so eloquently writes in his podcast bio, you may see him and say, Oh, that guy from that thing. But in all seriousness, Michael has been in everything, he's an incredible actor. Urban Legends, Justice League, Guardians of the Galaxy, and uh, he's even the lead singer of his band, Sunspin. I find him so interesting. He also has some unique interests. He's a voice actor. He's a collector. Actually, 
why don't you just guess what he collects? Is it slinkies? Is it anything chicken-related? Is it horror memorabilia? Troll dolls? Back scratchers? Yeah, one of those things he collects, and it fills him with joy. The answer will be available in the podcast. I also want to mention that not only is Michael on my podcast today, but as you just heard, I'm on his. So make sure to check that out inside of you. Look, I'm excited to bring him on. He's a new friend, but he's a dear friend. That didn't rhyme. Let's just do this. Here he is, Michael Rosenbaum. Bubble and squeak. I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. What's up? <laughs> How you doing? What's up, my new bestie? Oh, you dropped a bomb gardener on me, baby. <laughs> you dropped a bomb on me. I'm, dude. Michael, I mean, two times so close together. I this know. is, I mean, wow. Was, now, yeah. next, I promised you when we parted ways that I was going to make you some chili. That's going to happen. Let me be very clear. Today, I'm moving. So my kitchen, my implements, what is that? That's not the, my utensils. They're all packed up. So you can say implements we, if you want. Implements, you know. My my implements. We'll, we'll play golf and we'll eat chili. How does that I'm sound? I'm very excited about that. That sounds amazing. I can't wait to uh, be invited to your house. Do you usually do this over Zoom? You don't have people at your house. You don't like people at your house. Well, you know, I live in Oklahoma now. <laughs> That's a no. bit of a hike for me. Yeah, I it's know, a little. You don't live it's a little. Oklahoma. Although I came to, I came to your house. You did, and it was a bit. You're right. I remember you saying it was a bit of a hike, but you had some other stuff going on that day. It wasn't just no, my podcast. It was, no, it was just for you. It was just for you. Um, that's my story. I'm sticking you, with it. You sweet man. So it was so nice getting to talk to you. Now I'm 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 turning the tables a little bit on you because I I one I find you incredibly interesting in addition to being incredibly sexy. Uh, people like Welling. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why people. I don't know why people like Welling. I've gone. Well, he was. With, you've golfed with Welling. I've got, have you golfed with Welling? I haven't golfed with Welling. I know you like to golf. I can't believe you guys haven't golfed together. Yeah, well, I just started picking it up during COVID. There was got nothing it. else to do, so everybody started buying clubs. Everybody started to go to the golf course, and I played ice hockey my whole life. But I remember what you said on my podcast. You said that's the time where there's no phones, there's yes. no external noise. You just, for however many hours, focus on that. And that, for you, is therapeutic. So yes. I can understand that. I understand that. So when I golf, I try to do that as well. I try to just talk with my friends, enjoy the atmosphere. And it's helped. It's, it is therapeutic. It's like meditation in a way. Yeah. I, I don't think I knew that you did ice ho hockey. You know, that's Carell's game, sport. That's, really? that's what he, he did gr growing up. Yeah. In fact, 
he got hurt at some point while we were filming playing. He played in a like a a, a league in Los Angeles. They're like leagues. That's what I do. Yeah, do. that's what I do. In fact, I just ran into someone who played or plays with him. I thought he had given it up. Maybe not, but yeah. And so uh, he and I have golfed not a lot, but you know, he's got a good swing. He makes good contact because yeah, you ice hockey guys can pound the ball. Yeah. Um, but he, he's <laughs> learning too. And like you said, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot yeah. of time. Back back to Welling. Back to Welling being so good looking. <laughs> uh, because you did you did say that and uh you know no, I, I said always, you were. I'm team. Oh, you. I know. I well, hey, yes. look, I appreciate that. But you know what's funny is I always felt when I was on Smallville that I was gonna get fired because I wasn't good looking enough. I didn't match okay. the criteria. I didn't fit the criteria for the WB slash CW whatever right. model. Yes. And you had Tom was so beautiful and Kristen who played Lana was so beautiful and the beautiful pair, everyone was beautiful. And I'm like this bald guy, I got this bump on my back of my head. I was never popular in high school. <laughs> I just was really feeling like um, um, they're going to let me go. Yeah. So I felt like I had to step up my game and, and act the shit out of those scenes <laughs> in order to stay on board. So I always felt like I was threatened by Welling. Yeah, I I have similar feelings about the WBCW. I always felt like anytime <laughs> I would get like an appointment to go meet with some, I was like, they're not going to hire me. But now I now I, they hired you. So I don't know if we're the <laughs> there same. There you go. I don't know if we're yeah, the same. Yeah. Yeah, they're in the bald guys now. You you know you have a little bit of baldness going, so you they they're probably into you now. Yeah, a little bit. Um. All right. Well, I want to talk more about Smallville, but I want to go back first. I understand you were born in New York, but you ended up being raised in Indiana. Was that a family move to Indiana? Yeah, Dad got a job transfer. He worked in uh, sort of a chemist in like 1980. And uh, he brought the whole family to a small town in Newburgh, Indiana, which had about 3,000, not even 3,000 people, a lot of cornfields, a burger farm, a Druthers, a Dairy Queen, a tiny Newburgh cinema, a Pizza King, can't forget that. And the high <laughs> school was about a few miles away. And uh, yeah, we just landed in, in Newburgh, Indiana, and thus began my life growing up in the Midwest. Wow. And- was that difficult for you? I remember my dad was mowing the lawn. You know, it just blew shit all over him, you know, all <laughs> over his face and his body. You know, when he's mowing the lawn, he used to wear goggles. And But I remember saying, I don't have any friends. He's like, what? I go, I don't have any friends. And he's like, well, why don't you go and knock on everybody's door in the neighborhood and ask them if they have a kid who's eight years old or nine years old you could play with? <laughs> and I did. And I went next door. No. And finally, I got about eight houses down. And uh, this woman answers, Mrs. Cutter. And Mrs. Cutter looks at me and go, I go, hey, do you have like a nine-year-old kid that I could play with? She goes, you don't look, you look too small for nine. And I go, well, I am. And then she goes, Danny. And then Danny became my best friend. And we catch fireflies. And we TP houses. And we play uh, wiffle ball. And. I remember when I think back, I you know they always say if you're always in in the past, you're depressed. It's part of it's depression if you're stuck in the past. But I remember I had a dysfunctional family, volatility out the ass, 
But I remember great friends and great memories growing up in a small town. There right. was something really special about my time in Indiana that I, I don't forget. And I, and I usually go back once a year. You know, I always think I'm going to move back there. And my friends always hear say, what are you going to do? You'll get bored there. Why would you want to go back? But I, I do miss the Midwest. I do. It just, there's something calm about it when you land. There's something just, oh man, this is just, I'm, I'm in Indiana, you know? Yeah. So it's nice. No, that's great. You know, I've said this before. It seems like all the funny people that I know are from like Kansas. I don't know. There's like this whole group of people and you think about, you know, the potential that, you know, there's not enough creative outlets. There's just not as many, um, you know, places, but, but that environment growing up and truly just using your imagination, yes. needing to entertain yourself, you know, with your friends. And I, I don't know, that's, that's awesome to hear. I hope you, I hope you could do go back. It's a tough commute to Indiana. <laughs> it is, it, it is, but, but you know, uh, I do think I'll go back one day. I mean, the only problem is my mom lives there. So <laughs> I don't know. I want to, I'm happy you're coming to town. I'm, I flew her, I'm flying her in Thursday for uh, her 75th birthday. And uh, she's a handful. She's a handful. So I'd have yeah. to live. My sister lives there still. So I'm thinking about it. We'll see what happens. All right. Your mom is a writer. Is that right? Or is a writer? Yeah. She like writes for small town paper. Evansville Courier, the Newburgh Register. She doesn't do it much anymore, but you know, she's pretty liberal. Not to say I'm not liberal at all, but she's really liberal. And so she used to write these articles in the papers and it used to piss people off. And I used to get harassed at school for the articles that my mom would write. <laughs> and it was just like, I used to get home and go, why are you putting my name in these interviews? <laughs> and, um, and we had to put up with that. And she was just, she would just, uh, she'd sometimes write about baseball players. She'd somehow get these interviews. She was her own publicist. So she would call like major league outlets and like get interviews with the St. Louis Cardinals players. And the right. family would all drive to St. Louis and go watch a game. And she'd be interviewing some baseball player for this little paper. And somehow she charmed her way in. She's a very charming, manipulative person. Let me just say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's cl it's clear. I mean, it's been there's been three references in four minutes about your mixed feelings about your mom. But I hope you have a nice yeah, visit. Yeah, I hope so too. Look, I love her. She was just you know she had my 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 brother when she was sixteen. She had my sister when she was seventeen. Then she got divorced. She married my dad who was eighteen. Uh, you know they grew up really fast and. Well, I think that, you know, when you have a child, the child must come first. They have to be the center of attention. And if not, they're going to be, well, uh, tortured. <laughs> and so I think that I became a little tortured as the years grew on, but I somehow made it through the fog and here I am. Yeah, well, that's good. Uh, you went to Western Kentucky. Right. And you, yes, you studied yes. theater arts. So when did you start finding a love of theater or of acting? Was that was that early or was that just what you decided to go to college for? Well, I went to college thinking, you know, I'll take some acting classes. Could I, I, I took one in high school and I did a play, but I was really insecure and not a lot of confidence. And uh, I remember the teacher, Mr. Dr. Combs, and uh, I was taking basic techniques of acting. 
And I went in there and I had this baseball cap and this Mets jersey. And the teacher says, those of you who are here for an easy elective, please raise your hands. Yes. And so about seven people in the class raised their hands and kind of laughed. And I was so close to raising my hand as a joke. And he then looks at these kids and says, get out of my class. <laughs> and I, I was like, what? And he made these kids leave his class and find another elective. And then he asked me at the end of class, Mr. Rosenbaum, do you really want to be an actor? And I go, yeah. And it took some time. But as I started to do plays with children's theater and then bigger plays and hearing that that instant gratification, the, the applause from the audience and like I felt accepted for the first time in my life. It was validation that I was doing something good for the first time. And I fell in love with that feeling, that euphoria, that right. uh, connection. And I just I started getting lead roles and. I remember it was like the end of my junior year. I, I looked in the mirror and I go, you're an actor, dude. You're a fucking actor. Can you say F on the show? Yeah, you can. Of course. Oh, and I said, you're an F an actor. I didn't that time. And then uh, that was it. I just kind of, I loved being a part of something, part of this ensemble and pretending I'm someone I'm not. And uh, that was a lot cooler than being me. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we talked about that on your podcast and that experience, and you ultimately uh, changed your professor's uh, opinion by the end, right? By the end, Dr. Combs, I remember going to his office, and I said, I'm thinking about going to grad school for, you know, for acting. And he goes, I think you're ready. I think you should go to New York. And I just said, wow. And I went to New York, and I had nothing on my back. I had an apartment with three people in a one-bedroom with bunk beds trying to pay rent, telemarketing, and everything sort of kind of came into place. Uh, I was having no luck. I did like Dracula at the Grove Street Playhouse and some off, off, way the hell off Broadway, like New Jersey Broadway. <laughs> and and uh, things weren't really working out. And I called Dr. Combs and he said, let me make a phone call. And he called the this actress, Becky Baker and Dylan Baker. They're, they're working actors. And, and I went over for dinner and we had a great time. And I went back home and I waited three days and I didn't know what to do. So I go, I'm going to call Becky and thank her for dinner. And I called and she's like, Michael, hey, can you hold on one second? I said, sure. She clicks back and she says, hey, can you meet with my agency tomorrow? I just was talking to them on the other line when you called. And I went to them and I remember the agent was like, do you have a resume? And I gave it to him. And they go, do you do any voiceover work? And I go, yeah, of course <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> And I just went into it. I go, if you like yummy things like peach parfait, come on, live a little, have a cup of Uban for dessert. Uban, the gorgeous coffee. Uban tastes great. Just think, bacon and eggs for breakfast and dessert. A nice big sandwich for lunch and dessert. Or how about a strawberry parfait and dessert? Uban. <laughs> and they started laughing, introduced yeah. me to the camera department. I don't really tell this story. And, uh, and they started that. sending me out. Yeah, they started sending me out. But really what happened, if I can tell you, I was starting to get voiceover work, nothing on camera. I had these fangs on my teeth that later I got fixed. I, I kind of looked like a vampire. Okay. And uh, I was I was outside smoking a cigarette with this girl. I didn't know who she was. I was just having a laugh. 
carrying on. And she goes, oh, my God, what do you do? I go, I'm an actor. And she goes, you're an actor? Who's your agency? I go, uh, SCM&M. It was the name of the agency back then. She goes, oh, my God, I work for them, but I work in the young adults department on a different floor. And we handle, like, infant through, like, 21 with, you know, for acting. You should come meet with us. Another by chance it shows you that be kind to everyone. You never know who you're talking to. You That's never know. Very I true. went up. Very true. I went upstairs and the woman was on the phone. She was busy. What? What? I had long hair, pleather jacket. And the girl goes, hey, and this is Michael. He's with us for commercials and stuff. I want you to meet him. She goes, do you have a monologue prepared? I go, hell yeah, let's do it. And I just gave her a monologue on the spot. And she goes, okay, we'll rep you. And they started sending me out. And I just, I, I booked the little thing here. And then I booked a movie called Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil with Clint Eastwood directing. It took me out to LA and things just happen. I think if, you know, they say when preparation meets opportunity or something, if you're prepared, when the moment arises, it's like, that's luck. I was just so eager, so ambitious, so full of life and fun. I don't know where that went, but that is what happened. And I sort of, Went to L.A. and the rest is history. Started just working, you know, here and there. That is so awesome. I love to hear that because, yes, on the surface, right, you get told, oh, my gosh, how lucky are you? But, no, I mean, you bring up several amazing points in that short story, which is, one, you were just nice to someone. Two, Let's be honest, a big part of this business because of the hours upon hours upon hours that you spend with people, that you want to work with good people, with people Absolutely. that are that that you get along with, that you feel like are responsible and prepared. And then the fact that in both of those two stories that you told, one Someone asked you if you did a voice voiceover. The answer was no, but you remember you had that to recall in that moment. And then also, do you have a monologue and you just start doing it? So you were prepared and ready. You just needed an opportunity. I think that is that is fucking awesome. I love that. Yeah. I Thank love you. That. It really, you know, I think a lot of this is luck. There are so many, as you know tremendously talented actors out there. Yes. So many that are undiscovered and it takes a lot of not, not only luck, but you really have to put yourself out there. Sometimes uh, I'll get a call from, uh, you know, Western Kentucky and they'll say, we have a student. He's really talented. Will you meet with him? Sure. And sometimes I'll talk, I'll ask them this question. I'll say, so what do you, you, you want to be an actor? It's like, yeah, you know, I figured I'd give it a couple of years. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is, yeah. When people start saying that shit, like, oh, I'll give it a year, I'll give it two years, I don't know. I was so, like, I was knocking on every door. I just, this is all I could do. This is all I wanted to do. There was just no other, when people were giving me statistics, you know, odds of making it, I was like, not me. You don't know who you're talking to. <laughs> I have got this. I am going to be famous. I remember in college, Alexis Combs and I, after we did uh we did a play and I was on her doorstep. I said, Hey, it was my senior year. I was about to graduate. I said, I want you to remember this moment. She goes, what? I go, I'm going to make it. And I want you to remember this moment right here, 
right now? She goes, okay. I go, I'm serious. I just feel it. It's just something that I know is going to happen. I can't explain it. It seems egotistical and I'm full of shit, but really in my heart, I just feel this, like, you're going to make it, dude. And she goes, okay, okay. And she kind of laughed and she kind of <laughs> looked at me like, like, he's all right. And um, she wrote me a letter years later, this beautiful letter and said, I just, I remember that moment. Um, it was really nice. But yeah, I mean, this is a crazy business. It's it, we're, we're lucky to be where we are. And, um, you know, I, I was, a lot of times I was a replacement. Oh, this guy, we're firing this guy. Let's hire, oh, Rosenbaum. Yeah, he's, he's responsible. He's good. He'll do the job. A right. lot of times I was that guy. And uh, I think Smallville was really one of the first times where uh, I wasn't a replacement. I had to get that part. I had to fight for it. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, to live and die in LA. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I was told that you had a casting submission for a pilot called Talk Girl. And oh, wow. This was never greenlit. It didn't happen. <laughs> but right. it eventually led to the show The Temp pilot being conceived for you. Tell me a little bit about yeah. that. Well, it's just it, it, kind of a short story, but uh, it was the one of the first it was the first thing that I got the first job and it was for MTV. They were trying to shoot a TV show. So they were shooting a pilot and it was with Leslie Bibb and yeah. Jackson Brown, Jackson Brown's son, Ethan Brown. Okay. And me. And I remember for the audition, I went in there and my care, I had long hair and I was wearing this gas attendant shirt I put on and I just started eating chips while I'm talking to the casting director and, and reading my lines, eating these chips loudly. And she just was like, okay. They sent the tape to whoever. They go, we want this kid. Right. This is the guy. <laughs> so I went. I remember I got paid $5,000 for the pilot. I okay. was rich. I was like, $5,000. <laughs> I could pay off nothing. Um, so I went and we started filming. And... You know, I was just always cracking jokes and making the crew laugh and everybody was happy. And finally, the show didn't get picked up. And they said, we'd like to do a project with you. And at first, they offered me a, a VJ, a video jockey. Like, you know, yeah, it was a lot more money than I was making. It wasn't a ton, but it was. And I thought I said to my friend, Matt, I don't know. He goes, well, I, go, I don't know. Won't that I want is what do you want to do? I go, well, I want to be an actor. He's like, then you should stick with that because this might take you off that path and you might be a presenter and VJ. And so I said, no. And then they did a special project with me. It was called the Michael Rosenbaum project, which turned into the temp. And the, the creators of that were Louis Thoreau. Now, I don't know if you know Louis Thoreau. Do you? No. He's the one on, he's the one on TikTok. That voice goes, my money don't jiggle, jiggle. It folds. I'd like to see you wiggle, wiggle. <laughs> For sure. Makes me want. It went widespread. Yes. Everybody was singing it. Yes, and yes. The, uh, and, the, uh, and the other guy was Kent Alterman, who is the president or the head of Comedy Central recently. Yes. And those two guys did had this idea 
to do an episode, uh, the show where a guy takes over for someone's job each week. He just takes over. I was a zookeeper for a day, and then I was in Cats on Broadway. Andrew Lloyd Webber allowed me to be a cat on Broadway in a real show. I had to take six hours of choreography lessons. Okay. I really learned it. I had the full makeup regalia. I could find it somewhere and post it. It is hilarious. And the show tested well, And but they I guess it was ahead of its time. Uh, they didn't pick it up. And right. for whatever reason, they didn't pick it up. And uh, that was it, really. That was it. Uh, then the next thing, I, I uh, auditioned for the Tom Arnold show. It was called The Tom Show yes. way back when. And that was where I flew in to test. I'd never fly in, flown first class. Uh, I remember being so nervous that I couldn't remember my lines. Tom was there in the room and he started improvising with me and he goes, Hey buddy, how you doing? I was like, good man. And he's like, Hey, you got a hairy chest. Would you shave your chest for the role? I go, I'd shave your initials in my chest for the role, buddy. And we just <laughs> kind of hit it off. And Tom Arnold calls me up and long story longer. Uh, the show ended up being the worst show on television, <laughs> but it was my first show. And I was so excited every day to play like the sixth lead. I mean, I had few lines, but I worked with Ed McMahon. Ed McMahon's trailer was right next to me. And every day I'd say, good morning, Ed. He's like, good morning, sir. I go, it was so cold last night. And he go, how cold was it? I go, it was so cold. I saw Robin putting his worm in the microwave. Weird, wild stuff. And we he would just humor me. And I had such a blast. I used to go on the Universal rides because it was at Universal. And I'd, at lunch, I'd ride the rides. I was living the life, living in a little apartment, not making a ton of money, just so happy. It's funny, when I'm bringing this up, all these happy feelings come back. Tom was just really supportive, and the show didn't do very well. And in fact, my, my grandpa recently died, and my dad sent me this book of his diary. Now, his diary, Irv, uh, the late Irv, I love him, he'd write in 1969, the Mets won the World Series, and then he wouldn't write till 1974, and then he wouldn't <laughs> write till 1998. And he has a little chapter about me, and it says, grandson Mikey, he's, uh, he's an actor. He recently did the Tom Arnold show, Ugh. <laughs> then, then, then he did it's all written. I can read it to you. Then he goes, then his next project was a show called Zoe Duncan, Jack and Jane. A little less UG. <laughs> and then then he goes on to say, I did Smallville. He said, you know, our grandson has become a small success. I was like, I was on a fucking hit show, dude. I was on a hit show. But he, he said I was a, I just thought it was so funny. He called me a small success. He was always very proud. He was always so proud. Unconditional love. He was always there for me. Always wrote me letters. And um, But I never thought it, he thought of me as a small success. Well, I don't know if I agree with him, but I find that very funny <laughs> that your grandpa is <laughs> reviewing in his diary that he feels the need to write down. <laughs> Basically, that he believes he's proud that you're in it, or at least it's worth yeah. being noted after not writing for 23 years in the time. But then he says the show is shitty. He also, he also, he also said something like, "My grandson Michael is a millionaire. My other grandson Eric is not a millionaire." <laughs> 
<laughs> I was like, oh, well, thank you for standing, stating the obvious. But, uh, it was so funny. Oh, um, yeah. Well, Smallville, I heard you weren't excited about it at first. Yeah. Well, at first, I, I you know, I was, I'm not putting any shows down, but I wasn't a big comic book fan. I was more into horror okay. movies, scary yes. movies. When you were at my house, you saw all the horror movies. Yes, in my- you were. Your uh, room where we record our podcast is a very impressive <laughs> temple of memorabilia and posters, signed posters by very impressive people. You always loved horror? Yeah, you know, when when I was eight years old, my mother loved horror movies, and my father didn't. Okay. So she would rent, like, Motel Hell and make them die slowly and make this eight-year-old watch them with her. And I was horrified, no, he's scared, but I just thus began the infatuation, if you will, of of horror and that world. And I remember taking their VCR, and I'd take my VCR, and I would tape horror movies that I rented and sit in my room till four in the morning making copies of them. So I just fell in love with horror movies and used to go to horror conventions before I was ever anybody and, you know, get autographs. And uh, then I ended up fast forward doing a movie called Urban Legend, which was my first horror movie. And it was pretty amazing. I was working with uh, Robert England. Freddy Krueger and yeah, kind of living the dream. But I've always loved horror movies. I think it's kind of an adrenaline rush for me. It's like a like a roller coaster. I like to be scared. I don't like the gory necessarily. I like more psychological or paranormal. Those could be fun. But uh, yeah, I just that's that's what I like. We talked about uh, The Shining on your podcast. My love <laughs> of Jack, greatest horror movie ever made. The Shining is is probably the greatest movie a horror movie ever made one of my favorite movies of all time and i told you i think uh my favorite scene is when um shelly duvall's character comes up to him and says jack 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 there's someone in the hotel they hurt danny and he looks at her and goes are you out of your fucking mind <laughs> <laughs> i just loved it i mean that was so creepy but yeah i love horror movies nightmare on elm street is that up love there it. for you Okay. Uh, I love the original Nightmare on Elm Street. I got to work with Wes Craven on a, on a movie that wasn't great called Cursed, but we had a great time. And he would, he would like, each take, you'd say, Rosenbaum, do it like Christopher Walken. <laughs> so I'd say my lines, like, Christopher Walken, I'm going to kill you <laughs> now. And then he go, do it like Malkovich. I go, no, what you couldn't possibly know. It, and I, he goes, okay, now do it like Nicholson. And I go, well, what's it going to be? You know, and I would do the whole thing. And I, he was just like, he was so fun. He was like a kid. I loved Wes Craven. Oh, that's awesome. To answer your question, you said I didn't really want Smallville. Well, you know, I thought it was going to be like a kind of silly Lois and Clark, or it was going to be like kind of goofy. I didn't know. And my agent assured me, said, hey, listen, this is going to be dramatic. And they want it to be good and shot like a movie every week. And I remember I've told the story, but, you know, 700 actors auditioned for that part. I had nothing to lose. I was like, well, I'm not going to get it. I go, ask them this one question. What are 700 actors doing wrong? And they came back and said, we want a sense of danger. We want a sense of charisma. We want a sense of intellect. And I remember all I had was three pages of dialogue. That's all they gave me. So wow. I said, I'm going to be dangerous. I'm going to be dangerous here. I circled it. I'm going to be charismatic here. 
I went in with no care in the world. And I remember the, the, the casting director, she says, okay, you can sit down. I go, I'm not going to sit. She goes, what do you mean? I go, well, I want to stand up for this. She goes, well, I have to relight the, I go, I'm sorry. She goes, well, you'll have to go outside for a few minutes while I do that. And she was really annoyed. And I was like, fuck, why? Well, I, I rehearsed this standing up. I want to, I want to stand up. I want to show some power. And she, I came back in and I went in there and I left thinking, oh, wow, I'll never give that great of an audition again. I was in control. I was in absolute power. I was Lex Luthor. And about a few days later, they said that Michael, they'd like Michael to come and test for the network and the studio. And I don't know what it is, and I don't recommend this to any actor. I told them, I go, I'm not going in there again. I will bomb. I will never do as well as I just did. You tell them to rewind the tape. And I don't know. He says, you're probably not going to get this. And I, I get a call a week later, and they said, you're Lex Luthor. I wasn't being a dick. I think I was just like, I can never be as good as I was just now. I can't go in there again. They have to just look at this tape and know. It was crazy. Have you ever done that before or since? No, I've never done that since. It was just one of those things. I don't know why I did it. And I haven't, I haven't done that since. I've walked out of auditions. I was auditioning for this movie. And I was about to sign my name in to read for the part. And I said... Nah, I don't feel like it. And I just walked out and I left. And then I, the movie came out and I freaking loved it. I love the movie. I love the actor who did it. It was Dawn of the Dead, the remake. I, for some reason, I just wasn't feeling it for whatever reason. And I just didn't do it. And uh, that was one of my only regrets, I guess. But, you know, I've definitely been, I definitely had some auditions where, I remember auditioning for Saving Private Ryan, Goodwill Hunting I read for. I remember a lot of big movies that I read for and didn't get, but, you know. Have you, um, have you ever had the experience? I was just thinking about this the other day. You know, The Godfather, and there's yes. the basically the Frank Sinatra part, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And he starts crying to The Godfather, and he's like, I just need this part. This part is going to change me. It's going to redefine me. You know, it's going to, people are going to see me in a different way, like in trying to, you know, and then he, Brando slaps him and it's like, you know, stop crying. I remember that. Have you ever had that feeling on anything where you think I have to get this? This is going to change my life or this is going to change how people see me in the, in the business or like this is it. Have you ever had that experience? Well, I have had that experience with roles that I, I didn't think were going to make me, but roles that I really wanted to get that I felt like I had to get, I had to get, and they were all against me. Um, but Smallville was the first time that when I saw the pilot, David Nutter, who's one of the most brilliant directors there is, he did The Red Wedding. He did tons of shows that are on TV now, but he came in and I did looping for the pilot you know, ADR, because uh, some of the sound wasn't good. And he showed me the opening and a scene that I had. Mind you, this is this is a guy, me, who re I remember calling my father and saying, I'm doing this movie. And he's like, what movie? Who's in it? I go, oh, it's an independent movie. And he's like, well, then it's not real. I'm like, no, no, it's okay. So this is the kind of mentality that my parents had and not a lot of faith in me. And, uh, 
I remember leaving that studio after seeing the opening of Smallville and my, my scene where I'm fencing. And I called my parents and I said, people are going to know who I am after this role. People are going to know me. I just felt it. And they're like, really? I'm like, yes, get ready. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I've chipped away, you know? I mean, throughout my career, I've kind of done great things and shitty things and everything in between. And, you know, you learn from the shitty things. You learn from the great things. And, you know, you just kind of try to keep going. Yeah, and I think ultimately you, you don't ever know. I mean, I, I think I've had a few of those even things that I've gotten and then it was like, Oh, you know, nobody watched or, you know, ah. it got canceled or, you know, like whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what made me think of that, but I, uh, yeah. You know what, Brian, not to, inter to interrupt, to interrupt you, sir. Yeah. To interrupt. I, ju I, I, I just thought of this. I forgot. I was doing this show. It was called Zoe Duncan, Jack and Jane. They okay. fired Jeremy Renner and then they fired this other guy and they called me into the room and I watched the pilot they had shot with Jeremy Renner. And I walked into this room of executives and I said, why would you fire that guy? He was so great. <laughs> and they go, and they looked at me and they go, because of you, because of what you're just doing right now. And I remember they bought billboards and subway things. They wanted this to be the next Seinfeld, the young Seinfeld. They poured money into it, Warner Brothers. Poured. Everywhere you looked, you'd see my face. And Selma Blair and David Moscow and Azura Sky. And I thought, wow, this is going to be big. This is going to be. And it just went nowhere. It wow. went nowhere. Uh, we, we did two seasons and the ratings weren't very good. The writing got worse because I think the creators got fired. Uh, and it was a shame. It was a, but, you know, that's why I think you learn as you get older that nothing's a slam dunk. In fact, right. everything's probably going to not be a slam dunk right. you just you just got to go hit your mark hopefully get paid see what happens do the best you can yeah if you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer dan patrick and hosted by me jay harris that you won't want to miss playing dirty sports scandals each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, 
start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You get cast in Smallville. You're not a, a comic book guy, as you as you said, more in horror, but I mean, you're aware of of Gene Hackman. You're aware of, oh, yes. uh, you know, I mean, you're aware of Lex Luthor and this is like an iconic role that has been played by iconic actors in the past. Is there an added pressure or for you, are you just trying to come up with your version? I mean, it sounds like you felt confident early on that you came up with your version and kind of left the rest alone. Well, first of all, uh, at a convention a couple of years ago, this guy waits in line to see me. And then once he gets up to me, he goes, Gene Hackman was the best Lex Luthor ever. And I looked at him and I go, I agree. And then he kind of <laughs> fucked off. He's like, what? And I do. I, I love Gene Hackman. You know, I went in thinking, look, I'm an actor. Make this real. Make this grounded. Make this genuine. That's what I read in the audition. Just do that. Sure, there was like pressure. I was like, how could they be casting me? I'm this goofball. I had done silly movies, silly TV shows, and now they're casting me as Lex freaking Luther. My friends were like, I, I can't see this. What are you? What are they? What? <laughs> What's happening? You have certain friends who ground you. That was that. But um, I just did it my way. I did it 
the way that I felt. And, and the creators always told me, this has got to be real. This has got to be genuine. And, um, you know, no twirling of the mustache. No, right. uh, I'm Lex Luthor. And I just stuck with that. So, um, yeah, I don't think I had as much pressure as I would if there were more social media around that time. Was it your idea or was it the creator's idea for him to have that complexity and depth and be in a way sympathetic and charismatic, likable? What, what was the, the discussion surrounding how he would be played? I think what they do, I think what creators and writers do is they have an idea of something and then the actor plays a part. And from that, they start to see things that that actor's creating and the strengths that he has or she has. And I believe that as the show slowly went on, they started seeing certain things and they started writing for me, writing for what they know I could do and I'm capable of. And they didn't know, you know, how explosive <laughs> I could be because there were times when this character just explodes and goes through such hell that um, I think it was they were just seeing how it would work. And then once they saw that it worked, they would continue pushing that envelope. But um, I felt like it was always written to be charming, something behind the eyes, something a little dangerous, just like those notes that they gave me early right. on in the audition. They wanted to sense all those things at any given time. And I always kept that in mind. Yeah. How do you feel like Lex's and Superman's relationship was different? in Smallville than, than maybe other th shows that we've seen or movies. Well, it was the first time that we saw the story before the story. This was Clark Kent on his journey from adolescence, you know, and Lex Luthor's. These guys become friends in the small town, and slowly as they're friends, they go separate ways. And so that was an interesting dynamic, and how do you do it over the span of 10 years? I mean, they did the best they could, and I think there were some great moments and some great arcs but I, I found it to be really compelling and interesting. You know, you'd feel, you'd root for Lex. There are people right. that you would really root for Lex because you saw what hell he went through as a child. And when you see a villain, I think that's the biggest problem with movies or TV now. If you're just seeing someone be evil, but if you see why they became evil, you see their childhood, the hell that they went through and how they got here, then you start to go, oh, but I understand he shouldn't do that. And he's not good, but I, ah, you know, and, and that's what I did love because I think a lot of people did gravitate towards that character, even though they know inevitably he'll, he'll become so dark. And, um, you know, I always make the joke. It's Clark Kent's fault that Lex became evil because he lied to me. If he wouldn't have lied about his secret, we would have been, uh, been best friends. We'd have ruled the world together. It'd been great. Right. It's complicated, right? Because everyone knows and identifies already as uh, Lex Luthor being a villain. In fact, you're named one of the 60 nastiest villains of all time. <laughs> but he is, in a lot of ways, has some similarity to the great, great television of this time, which was uh, focused on the anti-hero for me. I mean, you talk about Walter White or Tony Soprano you know, amazing characters who are sympathetic and at the same time, incredibly evil. Really, you are in that line, Lex slash you is in that line of characters created at this time that are sort of in that mold. I never thought about that. And that's really interesting when you talk about those characters. That's true with Walter White. 
you see that he's these, this ke- a science teacher, chemistry teacher, and you see that he's flawed and picked on by people, and he's just kind of going through the motions and just can't get any respect. And like then he finds out he has cancer or whatever, and just a terrible existence. And then everything changes, and then he becomes this evil guy. But you still kind of you want to like him throughout the way because look at what he went through, and like he's doing all of these things, but he ends up at a point where you're just like, okay, oh my god, he's gone too far, right? Yeah, I, I do like that. I think there needs to be more of that. I, I you know, I, I want to root for, you know, it's great if you if you root for the the bad guy. If you're in a, in a way, um, just you know, if you can relate to you know his past or you know what he's gone through, I think that's I think that's really interesting. That makes for interesting TV or movies. Well, it's I don't know that I've shared this. Maybe maybe I have shared this. This is about me, and I'm supposed to be talking to you. But no, when I was five, I was the Wicked Witch for Halloween. And I think that this is a time my dad caught some shit for it. I mean, he never specifically said, like, who said what, but that, like, his son is full green makeup, the Wicked Witch of the West, obviously in the dress and the hat and the whole deal. And it wasn't just that, but even early on as a kid, those Disney characters, it was always the bad guys. And still to this day, I mean, the Wicked Witch of the West is the most interesting character in Wizard of Oz. Let's be clear. Those characters yeah. are so compelling and complex that I think for me as a kid, I gravitated toward them. And it didn't, you know, gender, bad, whatever. It didn't even matter. It was like what they were just such great characters, right? Yeah, yeah. The Wicked Witch of the West is one of the scariest characters or villains in the history of cinema. Hands down, I have a giant portrait of her. I think Elmira Mulch. Um, yes. And uh, I have it downstairs. And still to this day, I, I she scares me. So I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah. Um, your time on, on Smallville comes to an end. Ten, ten years? I did seven. Seven for you. Uh, talk to me when you find out it's coming to an end. Are you happy at this point? Do you feel like your time is is done? Yeah, you know, my contract was for six years. I signed on for a seventh, and they wanted me for three more years. And I just felt like I had done all that I could. And I felt like I was getting bored with the same kind of storyline. And I've done what I needed to do. And so I just decided I'd let them know ahead of time that this is my last season. And a lot of people thought I quit the show. And I was like, no, I actually signed on for another year. I just, I'm not going to do 10 years of this. Right. So it was emotional. In fact, I came back for the final episode, the series finale, and we did it. I'm glad I did it. And it would kind of like put an exclamation point on the end of of my run on the show and the show itself. But um, it was emotional. These people that, and you know this, I spent more time with Natalie, my makeup artist, than I have with my mother in my entire life. (laughs) Right. In my entire life, I've had more conversations in the in two days than I've ever had with my mother. She was my mother. She was my family. All these, the, the crew, and it was just like, these were people that you walk every day, you see, this is your life. And so when it ended, it was, it was depression. I was just like, oh my God, this is an end of an era. This is 10 months a year for seven years. And it took some time to sort of like, kind of clean that out of my system and, and and move on to start directing and do my podcasts and do other things. And 
So uh, it, it definitely was emotional and um, an, an amazing time of my life. Yeah. You talked uh, about having no voiceover experience earlier, but you do Justice League. How many years of Justice League? Are you still doing it? No, I did Justice League for three or four years, but okay. then I've done like Thornberries, uh, the Jackie Chan Chronicles. Uh, there were tons. I've done so much voiceover and all that. But what's funny is I was doing so well with voiceover, and then I got in more into acting. I started doing more TV and movies, and I kind of let the voiceover stuff go away. And now I'm trying to get back into it, and it's like this little click. It's hard to get back into it's it. I'm like, hard. Yeah. they have their guys. They don't want me anymore. And people are like, you have such a good voice. I'm like, I, well, what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> so I try to get back into it. I'd like to do more. It's fun. Ride with ease. Chevrolet. <laughs> I'd like to do a Chevrolet spot. Do you do a lot? I do some. I don't do a lot. I've gotten quite a bit of projects, but I'm still not one. Of, I'm not in that click that you're referring to. And for those yeah, of you who don't know, yeah. It's because your face is not seen. There are directors and casting directors and very talented ones who, again, know who's reliable and who's <laughs> nice to work with. And because it's not about seeing the same face over and over and people can change their voice, they just call the same people. And so it's yeah. very difficult. It's very difficult to get on that that speed dial. It is. Yeah, I just I want to be in that world again, though. Uh, it's a fun world. It's cool people. It's uh, it's easy. It's you know, creative. I just, I like, you don't have to put makeup on to do voiceovers. Talk to me just a little bit about Impastor. <laughs> oh man. I love that show. It was a short lived show. Yes. Uh, T TV land wanted to do something darker. It was, uh, about a guy who was a criminal who poses as a gay pastor in this small town. Yes. It was a funny, quirky, little show you can watch the first two seasons on hulu people really love this show it's just it's kind of like a fletch sort of character in a way yeah I'm, I'm 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 funny physical comedy i'm a pot smoking imbecile and just all the trouble that he gets into and in, in the sweet little town working for this church giving fake sermons and came out like four or five years ago I love doing it. It was a, a great job. And uh, for whatever reason, they, they canceled after two seasons. They said at the time, they just wanted something more female oriented. Right. And so I was like, well, I guess this isn't it. Well, I really enjoyed the show. And uh, I enjoyed the show since reading the pilot. Someone sent me the pilot to read. Apparently, somebody thought someone else would do a better job as the uh, <laughs> as the impastor. I don't know. I Wait, really you were up for the... I you were the pastor too. I I did yes, I did, and you I would have been great in a different way. I would have not been you. That's for well, sure. Well, you would have been you would have been you. I would have been me, and not yes. and not you. But I actually I thought the script was so great. I it was one yeah. of those where I was like, oh yeah, I would love to do this. I would love to because again, it would have been very very different for me. Um, but apparently, they went with you. Well, it didn't last long, <laughs> so but it was a blast. It was a yeah. blast. It was a dream job. I, I wish that show would have went on. A lot of people wanted that show to continue, and uh, it would have been fun. But you know, that's that's life. That's that's the industry. That's the industry. I could talk to you forever. I Guardians Guardians of the Galaxy. Now you're coming back for part three. 
Yes, and uh, part three I filmed last year, and I also filmed this year. So I'm, I'm coming back as Martin X, who in the comics was one of the original Guardians. Now he's a Ravager. I'm, I, I'm Sly Stallone's sidekick. Coming back for uh, Guardians 3, which will be out in 2023. And then I got my podcast, that one that you were on. I love it. I have been going back to listen. Favorite, uh, favorite interview? Well, you honestly, I'm not saying it because you're here, but you were fantastic. When you left, I was like, that was freaking great. You're just so charismatic and fun to be around. That's why we must eat chili and go golfing together. We, we will. We will do that. We will. Besides me, though. Um, I love Bob Odenkirk. I love Judd okay. Apatow. Uh, I loved uh, Zach Levi, Stephen Amell from Arrow. I love Henry Winkler. Um, the, I mean, there are so many great ones that I really love. Crispin Glover. Um, but it's it's great. You know what I love about the podcast is that we talk about someone's life, but it's very candid. It's not very, you know, two actors talking, but it's more about people and talking about, you know, mental health and life and how they get by, how they face adversity. And so it's called Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. So and you're you're one of my favorite guests ever. And uh, it was exciting. Listen, I truly I could talk to you all day. We discussed. Yeah, it. me too. We, we have to keep it to an hour. Maybe there'll be a part. Maybe there'll be a part two. At some point, anytime, I've, anytime, Brian. I've been known to do that. Um, I have so, so enjoyed getting to know you both on, on your podcast and here today. And, uh, this is the start of a beautiful thing. That's what I, that's it, what it I really think. is. It's the start of, hey, a very I think so thing. too. I, I, I adore you. I adore your talent. I adore you having me on the show. I can't wait to hang out with you and your, your producers are very lovely. Hi ladies. Good to see you. Well, they are amazing. Uh, Michael, thank you so much. That was amazing. You know it. I know it. Everyone knows it. Thank you. Michael, thank you so much. Great talking to you. Thank you for stopping by. Listeners, make sure you check out his podcast, Inside of You, with Michael Rosenbaum to see what it's like when our roles are reversed. I ask him questions. He asks me questions. Spoiler alert, it is awesome. While you're at it, give us a follow at Off the Beat on Instagram. Tell your five closest friends how amazing this podcast is. That would be your gift to me. Tell five people how much you enjoyed listening to the podcast today and I will consider you my new best friends. Yep, that's all. I'll be back next week, same time, but with a new guest and a new episode for your, will your listening pleasure. We'll see you then. Off the Beat is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our producers are Diego Tapia, Liz Hayes, Hannah Harris, and Emily Carr. Our talent producer is Ryan Papa Zachary, and our intern is Sammy Katz. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend, Creed Bratton.
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters— with new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.